to the Empower Innovation Deep Dive podcast, Melissa Kier, VP Global Expansion at Marketa. This podcast is a part of the Meet Her, She Knows Payments program, a collaboration between forward-thinking, innovative payments business, ThinkShareCare and the Emerging Payments Association Asia. And today's episode is brought to you by PayPal. Meet Her, She Knows Payments is one of the largest female thought leadership community in the Asia Pacifics, with a mission to empower innovation by rethinking diversity. I am Camilla Bolok. And I am Linda Stanevich. So let's say hello and welcome Melissa Kerr. Hi, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here with the two of you. It's fantastic to have you here today. So starting off, for our listeners that don't know you, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your professional journey? Give the listeners a background to yourself. Absolutely. So I'm currently at Marketa and I lead uh, global expansion for the company. I've been with them for about 11 years and in my tenure have worked across um, various departments, operations, product, as well as revenue. And I didn't come from payments prior to Marketa. I actually have learned everything on the job. And prior to Marketa was at a firm that um, supported property management. So a SaaS solution focused on e-procurement. Fantastic. Thank you. And the first time I met you was really in the beginning of the pandemic. And Marketa, lots of things has happened within your organization and you've been scaling and growing over those last couple of years. So, so we'll come to that later in today's session. But uh, let's turn and talk a little bit about the roundtable we hosted a few weeks back. Yeah, so first of all, thank you so much for um, hosting and setting the scene with your fantastic presentation during uh, the Mitochino Roundtable, where we discussed the power of the tech stack ecosystem uh, in payments. That was great and very much appreciated by everyone who participated. So thank you for that. One of the topics that we discussed in quite length in the Roundtable with all the industry peers was how businesses can grow grow and scale while adjusting their product value proposition and tech stack to new markets. And I know that you and obviously Marketa has succeeded in expanding your business model to multiple countries and even continents uh, and done so very successfully. I believe you've over 500 million cards distributed or something like that. It's probably more now. (laughs) So it would be great if you can expand on your growth and scalability strategy and how you're ensuring that you go into the markets where your business model works while you have to adjust with these local requirements for the tech stack and all the regulations. And and how do you come to the decisions where to go? It's a great question. Over time, we've definitely iterated and evolved our process and practice in how we analyze and think about markets and where we should expand to. We started definitely allowing our customers to lead us into new markets as we initially expanded into Canada from the U.S. Mm. And, you know, as we went into Europe, we also saw an opportunity to bring our issuing processing platform to the region in order to service the needs of those holding e-money licenses that were looking to bring innovative card issuing solutions to the region. As we continue Mm -hmm. to expand and think about where to go, we definitely fine tune our process even further to evaluate the opportunity, sort of where our current customers want to go, along with the potential opportunity in the local market. 
and offset that or view that against the complexity. So that could mm. be the product build you might have to do, the regulatory environment that you might be coming up against as you expand into market, and also the operating model. How are you going to support the customers that you launch in those regions or those markets? And so we look at all of that and um, assess a country and then compare them against each other. So we have what we refer to as a a scoring model that's proprietary to Marketa that looks across a number of indicators that allows us then to just sort of weigh the countries against Mm -hmm. each other and really try to identify where it makes the most sense for us to spend our time and effort as expansion is definitely not easy. Mm. So is that, uh, how was that prompted in your business? As you said, in the beginning, you went, we have customers, so then we go into that country. Was it by experience that the business model wasn't viable in any of those early countries that you went into? Or like how come you started to evolve a more and more complex model for going in? I wouldn't say that our business model wasn't applicable or didn't make sense in those earlier markets. But after we we did Canada mm. being the first and then focused on Europe, I think it was how do we size? How do we prioritize? How do we size? How do we create a decision framework mm. on where to focus our, our efforts and our resources given that we don't have unlimited? Yeah. Naturally. Yeah. And that's so true for all all businesses. And it can, as I understand from other companies as well, it can really make or fail your business if you go into too many markets and that doesn't work out. Uh, and it can make it very successful. You're going into the right markets, so obviously, which you obviously have done so well. So thanks for sharing that. It's interesting. Also, I was actually in a conversation just yesterday when we were looking and talking about business expansion in, in Southeast Asia. What were the different reason companies should go somewhere or not go somewhere. And one of the topics that came up was talent, access to talent. So so just wanted to see how do you see, is that one of the parameters in your evaluation framework? Yeah, that's a good question. I guess I don't know if we have that explicitly. And we do think about the operating model and where Mm. we're going to be able to, where and how we'll be able to service those those customers, but we're not always necessarily looking to hire in every country we expand into or we enable our products and services in. If we can, I think we would at times lean back on like sort of a hub and spoke model where we'd have regional, what we might refer to as regional centers of excellence, and then hire more locally as the business demands or justifies. Mm. Thank you for sharing that, Um, Melissa. Was it any other things that stood out from you from the roundtable? A few things stood out for me. One, I mean, I definitely took some notes and learned a few things um, specific, mainly to the African market. And I think mm. one of the participants commented on how most companies that start there don't think beyond Africa because there's so much opportunity within the country that thinking or within the region that thinking outside is not viable. is maybe too far in the future. Yeah. And is it viable? Mm. Um, so that was one thing, just some of the, the learnings that I picked up from the session. In addition, we all do it a little bit differently. And there were some comments around, you know, an ROI decision and ensuring that the, the customers you're working with sort of fit your company. And there was even a comment, I think, specific to cultural and ensuring there's sort of cultural alignment. And then, you know, even exploring joint ventures, and that would give you sort of the business acumen in country and or in the region that would really help set you up for success. So there were a lot of really good 
insights and just interesting points of view. And it made me think that there's not a clear one size fits all for all of us out there who are expanding. Mm, yeah, that's for sure. I think as a writer, this is probably one of the roundtables in the Meet Her series that created most ripples that people talked about afterwards. And I had people to say, if you run another one on that topic, can I come? Because I think it's as it's, it's an ecosystem and we're all entwined, it's so important to have the conversation. Where do you sit in the ecosystem? How did you get around those those issues or those bottlenecks? But mm-hmm. let's move in, uh, move on and talk a little bit about innovation. And what key innovation and trends do you see in your part of the payments industry? And can you maybe mention some that have had an impact on your products and service delivery? I think the the shift in new payment modalities is probably the most most relevant, along with the change in consumer behavior. As an issuer processor, cards are not going away anytime soon. And so we're still a an important player in the ecosystem and we still have a, a need that's going to be serviced for a long time. But even the shifts during the pandemic to individuals shopping more online and taking advantages of di- digital experience has definitely influenced Marketa in where we focus on improving, enhancing our tech stack which I think is really relevant and key. And then the the shift in just, you know, the Bitcoin's cryptocurrency and the changes in QR codes, the way people are paying. So at times there can be cards that augment that and support those forms. Mm. And people are also doing other creative things that are are shifting the way payments are being made. So those are sort of things that come to mind that have stood out for us as we've we've been evaluating where to focus and what we might need to do to our tech stack to just address, it could be risks that come up with those payment options mm. and and how does the card sit in with it? Yeah, uh, I think it's some, we often talk about the decline of cards or credit, but we forget that it's actually in the rise in certain countries also. Okay. I mean, several countries that we see it's double digit increase still in specifically around debit cards. If we're looking some current uh, inhibitors for innovation, is it something that that you wish would happen or go away that would actually help the industry to innovate faster? It's a great question. Um, I think it's always easy to point to regulations. And if, if those could be eased, then it, innovation might be easier. But that, that also feels like a, an easy answer. So I don't know that I have a great answer here on something that like jumps out to me that I wish would go away or change so that there could be more innovation. Hmm. Yeah, it would be the diversity I think we had a long discussion about that <laughs> earlier like it just comes back to that point it's different we don't know what we don't know so we just have to have right. that diversity of thought but that, that's not the answer we specifically is looking for like something that always comes up is just what you're saying mm-hmm. this trade-off between regulation innovation and, and get mm-hmm. a good balance to to mitigate risk there and yeah, right. and I guess in some areas there are very little regulations, such as in in crypto and and all of those type of uh, cryptocurrencies coming up. While in established, you know, cards and and bank accounts and things, there is very heavy regulation. So there's potentially a bit of uneven regulation across the board. The wind of change yeah, is blowing. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so on that note, if we look to the future of payments, you know, what payments would look like in 
10, 20 years from now. We are just gathering some predictions from the Meet Her, She Knows payment thought leaders community and what they think the world would look like. And the future will be across five key pillars, political and regulatory, economics, social, technology and operations. What are some of your predictions across one or several of these pillars that you foresee the future would look like? It's it's interesting. It's it's sometimes hard to think 10 to 20 years <laughs> out just because yes, it, I know. <laughs> in payments, right? It changes so quickly anyways. Yes, it um, is. And so it's hard to think what's going to be going on in 10 to 20 years. But things um, that came to mind, I did have a moment where I'm going to date myself. I thought of the Jetsons, which was a cartoon <laughs> in the US. And like the biometric digital ID came to mind. I'm like, you're going to walk into a store and make a payment. Like you won't even mm. have to do anything, you know, and just sort of the the easing of payments. And I'm excited to see what happens there. Economics comes up a lot. I think in the US specifically, sort of what's going to happen with interchange and is it regulated? Other countries don't don't have this issue. It's already regulated or it's, you know, nominal at best. But in the US, interchange is still really high. I wonder how that's going to shift and change over the coming years and, and what that looks like in the future and how that plays into the payment ecosystem and all the players that are participating. Mm. The, the biometrics thing is quite interesting. So you see it's mm-hmm. more like an augmented into us that we just use our biometrics and that's connected somehow to our credit and debit. <laughs> yeah. It sounds maybe it sounds far fetched, but that no, was like immediately really. what came to maybe what came to mind for me. I was yeah. like it just like the whole frictionless, seamless payment, you know, just I think it's not that far off and mm. any way to make it easier from a consumer standpoint in our behaviors, I think it's mm. it's interesting. And what about regulation wise and cross border payments and, and those type of items that is quite topical today when we're discussing to facilitate, make that easier across international borders? And how do you foresee that changing? This even I think as you think about data and all the entities that house the data, and I'll, I'll use Marketa for a second, just in the example, mm. as we have all of this access to data and we're supporting sort of multiple countries, you just think there's a lot of power in that and how how can that be used to facilitate cross-border? And I really just using Marketa as an example, we could plug in another name, but anyone who's supporting multiple regions or is around the globe can depending on their data set could really influence and, and make a difference. And it could be identities and verification, and it could be cross-border solutions. And it gets really interesting. Mm. Um, none of this stuff, in my opinion, is necessarily straightforward or easy, which makes it, in my opinion, again, fun <laughs> to try to figure out how to solve it. Yeah, yeah. It's a challenge, isn't it? I get excited when we start to talk about the data and the opportunities lays in there. But again, coming back to those two different forces, like... I think we're going through this innovation thinking outside of the box with the embedded finance and what could different data sets do. But then you have that force of regulation and also protectionism if we're looking at the um, localization of data regulation. And, and it's really something we will focus more at at the Emerging Payment Association Asia over the, the next um, probably years, I would say, as it's not something that that you easy find policy and best practice in. But I think... or 
I think it's all tied together and we have to break small pieces and see those good use cases that we can share across the participants to start to create value in pockets where we're using data across borders to create more value for the end consumers to take friction away, but in the same time, not take the friction away so that we create risk in the value chain. Mm, I think that's the, that's the difficulty in the balance, isn't it? The risk yes. versus customer experience and leakage. We normally do some quick questions also. So I'm going to give you five quick questions that are based on search history and tied to innovation, diversity and thought leadership uh, that we have seen has been asked in general on on the internet and search engine. So I'm going to ask you, who is a thought leader that has inspired you or shaped your career path? There's a few people that, that come to mind while at Marquetta, Omri Dahan, who was the chief revenue officer. For a period of time is is one individual i reported into renata kane for a few years and she definitely was a, a leader that inspired me and, and definitely influenced my trajectory oh that's great to have that in a manager and what quality was it yeah. could you put your finger on like why this was it i probably can she she saw something in me that i didn't and could help bring it out in her management style, like bring it out in me so that I gained additional confidence and sort of saw what she was telling me she saw in me, if that makes sense. Mm. So she helped you in your development, mm-hmm. develop new skills. So right? what characteristics should a good thought leader have in your mind? I would say there's a, there's a handful of characteristics. Definitely the first couple that come to mind are empathy, creating a, a sort of safe space where you can be honest, candid, feel free to, you know, share your experiences or share your opinion. Mm. For me personally, someone on the flip side who's also curious, I think another way of saying that is having a growth growth mindset, but definitely sort of that curiosity where you're always interested in learning more or want to dig a little bit deeper. What uh, is diversity to you and how relevant is it to your business? I think it's important probably to most in in all companies. It allows to ensure that you're getting different perspectives, different points of views, backgrounds, cultural experiences. And you want to be able to have all of that at a table as you're discussing the strategy, what you're doing, how you're doing it, where you're going. And it's extremely important to ensure that you're well-rounded in the the conversation and the points of view that are are being expressed to help move the business forward. Yeah, that well-rounded is a good word there. We've been speaking a lot. It's not well-rounded in the ideas popping up. It's also in the well-rounded and actually hearing the ideas for the people sitting around the table. So very good answer there. Uh, What does creative innovation work environment look like to you? The most important, I think, is it allows for risk-taking and and the risk to, in the risk taking, I think you learn from those experiences, and it it really helps to sort of drive change and drive new and innovation. And so that's what I would say is allow for risk taking, and there could be failures in that, and that's okay. But learning from it, iterating, and improving is really what you're looking for. Mm. And what are some key elements of great innovation leadership? 
as I was thinking about this, I mean, I, I sort of brought it back to the work environment and what you're looking for. I think it's someone who, or leadership is, is about being able to sort of express the opinions, take the risks and learn from them. If you can't allow for a failure, then it, it's hard to want to keep innovating and sort of put those ideas out there. And so to me, the, the elements of great innovation leadership is like that, that space to allow for the risk, allow for the new sort of challenge status quo, so to speak, so that you can influence and create change. Hmm. Could I, uh, can I just add an extra question yeah. here? Because this is, we talked about yeah. it in the car on the way here, mm. and I'm speaking on a panel later tonight where, where it's talking about product innovation for the woman economy or, or for women in general, because it's such a big purchase power in, in the global globally. And it's seen like 73% of the women feel that they are undercated for, for financial ser- products from financial services. What do you think companies should do to tailor their product more for this big segment that feel that they are underserved? Or do you think they are underserved? I do. I guess I would. I'm so data driven. I would be curious as to like where I'd like to hear from people, like what's the pop, hear from the population specifically, like what's missing? What Mm. are we not getting? That's what I would be interested in too. What are you most proud of that you have created at Marketa? Most proud of? Um, Mm. It is, I think, our expansion process. I mean, it's changed sort of tenfold since we've started doing it. We're far from perfect. We still have a lot to learn and a lot to figure out, but it is far more thoughtful than it was day one. We now have things we evaluate, we check off, we ensure we understand before we're going. I mean, you know, we expanded into Europe and Europe is amazing and kind of an anomaly because it's got the European economic area. So you can get a certification from the networks and you can issue in all these countries, but it doesn't mean you know what's going on in all those countries. Mm. And so hard lessons learned when you're trying to onboard or support customers or even go through contract negotiations. It's all different in the different, they're very different countries. Mm. Exactly. Um, (laughs) Which looking back, we should have known that maybe. (laughs) (laughs) And I can also understand why you didn't think so, because, oh, it's a, it's a common, you know, currency, they they trade Mm -hmm. freely, but yes, there's very different cultures and different ways of doing business in all of those countries. So in the process of scaling faster and faster, I guess. Is it somewhere in in that journey that you felt that the pace were taking up? And and what was it that initiated that change of pace? I think Marketa identified that this was a priority for that, for the company. Like in order to be successful and go where we wanted to go and be viewed as like a global player, expansion is you have to expand. And prior to Europe, or I guess in conjunction with Europe is when we identified we needed to identify, we needed to dedicate people. So it wasn't something we were asking employees to sort of do your regular job as a product manager, and then also focus on expansion. Mm. It was we're going to take these people and we're going to tell them that this is their role, and this is what they're doing, and this is what they're focused on. Mm. And do you think this will be transferred into Asia now in the APAC region that you will see you increasing your pace and rolling out across APAC? We are definitely focused on Asia Pacific. Speed is maybe relative. I I don't know that people will start to see maybe a ton of movement quickly, but like we know this is what we need to do to be sort of a a global player and and get to where we want to be. So I, I don't know that I would comment necessarily on speed, but no. it is a 
it's a f- expansion in general is a huge focus. Mm-hmm. So the one thing that I've sort of been curious about in uh, Malaysia comes to mind in Singapore is like recently they have issued, I'm going to call them alternative, like digital banking licenses or, or the equivalent of like an e-money license. And I think Singapore did five. I'm not sure the exact count in Malaysia, but I'm not sure if there's any plans to issue more or sort of how regulators are viewing those licenses that they previously issued to either identify, yes, let's keep moving forward and let's keep issuing or we're ha- like pausing for a bit and maybe pause isn't the right word, but. I see what you're saying, like freeze it for a while to see how yeah. the market is managing. Uh, I, I don't have like, this is how it is. I just have speculations I've heard. And I think both Indonesia and Malaysia have their roadmaps. I think mm-hmm. Indonesia specifically had a five-year roadmap. I don't know Malaysia if what they okay. have what they have called Indonesia calls that the br- blueprint. Uh, Malaysia mm-hmm. the roadmap, and I think it was one thing they had to tick to to get going onto that. And now they're just waiting to see how that is falling and establishing. So probably more things will follow. But as you say, it's a bit of pause to see how it sits and if those players get integrated and used and and get their landing right. But that was just somebody sharing their intel with me, so I'm not sure. Yeah, so mm-hmm. that person thought it's paused for a while. Cheers, okay. yeah, to see how it landed. But we, we're definitely doing more thing in Malaysia. So in the next uh, APAC FinTech Payments Forum, we, which probably will be on October, we're going to focus on partnerships and best practice around fintechs and domestic schemes, mm-hmm. both in-country and cross-border. And uh, that's why I did like it quite a lot of yeah, investigation into Malaysia for time being because we're getting that domestic scheme on board. So we have just heard Melissa Kier, VP Global Expansion at Marketa, sharing her insights, knowledge and experience around how to successfully expand a tech business in multiple countries and also her thoughts around leadership, team creativity and how to succeed in an international business. Thank you so much, Melissa. For more insight from the Meet Her She Knows Payments community, visit our website, Meet Her. Follow us on Instagram and on LinkedIn and tune in to our next podcast. Thank you very much, Melissa, for being here today. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you for having me.